I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We all live in fast-paced lives and none more so can be said for parents with young children. Supporting your baby through their early stages and helping with their development is what is at the forefront of every parent's mind. At times, parents all need a helping hand, and that can be in the form of a brand that we love and trust, just like Yo Valley. Ensuring your child gets all the nutrients they need is so important, and this includes calcium. With Yo Valley's Little Yo Yogurt Patches, which are suitable from six months, they're perfect for weaning and developing the palates of your little ones. Available in two delicious flavors, the red berries and the apple and pear, the Little Yo pouches are sure to keep children satisfied and full. To find out more, head on over to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarkets. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Navigating stress can be challenging at the best of times, and now, in the midst of a global pandemic with concerns for our health and finances, we're all facing a new set of worries. Stress is ingrained in our world and day-to-day lives, and while this might sound overwhelming, if we learn to understand it, we can then hopefully break the stress cycle. So this week's Food for Thought sees pharmacist-turned-author Dr. David Hamilton and I explore what stress really is, how we can control it, and in turn, combat it. Hello, David. Hi there, how are you today? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I am very, very well, thank you. How about yourself? Hey, really good, yeah. Just be, I've been working all morning on the book work and doing a wee bit of mathematics. I'm doing a part-time university degree in mm. maths and physics, so I, I was working on that this morning as well. So it's been a, 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 a multitasking morning, <laughs> I have to I know to the say. feeling that that sounds incredibly strenuous. Um, so just to strain your mind further today... Um, <laughs> And we're talking about stress and kindness and self-esteem and all sorts of things today. Um, (laughs) Let's start by, uh, this is a stat that I kind of wanted to bring up. So research has shown that for adults in the UK, that work seems to be, which is convenient considering what you just said, the biggest stress factor. Now, do you think this could be where businesses are perhaps maybe going wrong in terms of health of their employees and how they're looking after them? Yeah, I mean, I I think... Different companies have different, you know, different ways of of looking at this. I think some companies don't really either notice or it's not so much of a big deal, the stresses experienced by employees, whereas other companies that I know of, it is really much something that they really have ongoing programmes like stress management. I mean, I've been involved in a couple of companies where we've actually looked at increasing the culture of kindness really as an antidote to stress. So I think it varies from one company to the next. And I think it's just the, you know, how how much I guess the the company notice, you know, really notices uh, what's happening with employees and how what their needs are. Exactly, exactly. And I know you do a lot of work as well in the area of even being kind to one another. And the fact that I think the way we speak to one another, as well as noticing the effects obviously stress have, because there's different types of stress, isn't there, that can affect us and how we talk to each other obviously could be a factor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but we have, you know, 
what you call acute stress, the stuff that just happens, you know, because of, of something, or it might be even something not necessarily that's happened, but your your perception, your perspective on, on something, the way you look at something, for example. Uh, and then you can get a lot of those, what you might call episodic stress, where you might get a lot of uh, acute stressors, you know, a, a succession of them. And if, I think if these get a wee bit out of hand and, and then stress becomes almost a habit, it's something that you're experiencing a lot, then we, we call that chronic stress. Uh, and so, and that's when, I think that's when you start to associate, when people talk about the impact of stress on our health, I think in general, we're, we're more, we're more thinking of the impact of chronic stress, you know, the kind of long-term stuff that, that really does occupy much of our psyche, but really has a strong physiological effect. Exactly. I think the physiological is, is what I think most people will, will be able to notice more perhaps in terms of what symptoms they they can feel. Could you just list a few perhaps that people could be aware of to know that yeah, that's Yeah, I, I mean, do you, do you know what? Despite my, my job, but I'm saying my, my job, you know, I write a lot of books on, you know, mind-body connection, covering stress, I write books on kindness and self-esteem, but I have struggled a lot in my own life with, with stress uh, and anxiety. And for me, the, they both feel linked and anxiety is is for many people, uh, you know, a mental or emotional uh, side effect, I suppose, of stress. But then on, on a physical level, depending on the person, some people end up shallow breathing. I mean, how many people do you know who don't notice that they're not breathing? I mean, when we're under stress, oftentimes we forget to breathe. And you if you don't notice it, all of a sudden you feel yourself going... <gasps> And you take a big gulp of breath because you've actually forgotten to breathe or we're shallow breathing because the whole upper body, like the muscles become really tense. So muscular tension for many people is a symptom of stress, like tension in your jaw, grinding the teeth. But then deeper inside the body, what we get is, is a suppression of immune function, meaning that the immune system is less able to to counteract or to deal with many of the everyday ordinary things, you know, like colds or the, the occasional pathogens that, that come our way. Mm. And then stress also, you know, we get increases in blood pressure. Even long term, if you take it into the long term, then it begins, it can really impact a person's cardiovascular health. So we can we can get ultimately, you know, build up of of inflammation in the blood vessels, which can long-term lead to increased risks, I should say, of things like heart attack and stroke. So I guess if stress is allowed to continue in a chronic sense for a longer period of time, I think that's when we see more of the physical or physiological detrimental effects of it. Oh, completely. And if they're the, that's the physical side, what about the psychological side? Um, how do you identify that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I can speak from my own experience here because in in the past, I, I have struggled with depression. I mean, a, you know, a number, a number of years ago. And, and it was related to stresses in my life. I mean, there's different ways. People can have different depression that can, an onset of depression for a variety of different reasons from genetic, from, you know, genetic influence, life experience, or for 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 chemical imbalances, a number of other reasons. But for some people, it can be an accumulation, almost an overload of stress. And for me, personally, it was an overload of stresses uh, happening at the same time that I didn't feel able to cope with uh, at the time. Uh, and another symptom I had, psychological, was anxiety. And it's something that I have had to deal with even, even despite, as I said, despite my job, a writer in, in this field, anxiety is something that has, uh, I guess, pro propped its head head up uh, numerous times. And it's, it's something that I almost get used to, that when it comes, I know that it will go away. Uh, and so I don't give it that much attention because it just dissipates again. But, it, but you know, anxiety and depression are psychological uh, symptoms of stress, for a lot of people, but irrit irritability, you know, frustration, all these, I guess, momentary, the ways that we respond to the stresses can be through irritability or frustration and almost like a, you know, a build up, like 
you, you know, the way a pressure cooker will just go, you mm. can just release it. You know, oftentimes mm-hmm. for people, it's an it's an outburst that comes up as an accumulation of stress. If we're not able to deal with the symptoms when they arrive, I mean, there are ways that we can moderate the effects of these things. But if we don't attempt to moderate them, then they really can build up. And that's when you get a buildup of psychological and physiological effects. Yeah, like the pressure cooker analogy is, is really good, actually. You can almost see it with, with the mm. steam the steam rising. I think we've all been there, 100%. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting about this topic and this discussion today is that it does impact everybody. I mean, I don't think there can physically be a person out there that has not experienced a fraction of anxiety or yeah. stress in their lives. So more so than ever, I suppose, because we're living in a time with such increased uncertainty. I mean, I consider myself fairly resilient and I'm really feeling it at the moment. Now, I just think this can be having such a significant impact at the moment, can't it, on our stress levels? Yeah, absolutely, because what we often need in our lives is some sort of feeling of control. Like these are things that I can control in my life. And for many people, having a sense of control, even if it's just control over how your own mood or, or some of the things that you're doing in your life, those for many people are sources of comfort, like comfort blankets. These, these are almost supports that we can lean on in our lives. But, but when you have a time like this of uncertainty and we don't feel that we have the same degree of control, then that can knock a lot of people and I think I think this current situation has knocked a lot of people uh, for sex and some of it is that perception of not just loss of normality but literally loss of control of even some of the smaller things uh, in our lives. Yeah and less social interaction yeah. and all of it it really I, I tend to find that um, you mentioned earlier breathing mm. oh, I just need to breathe now just take a moment <laughs> <laughs> just a lovely big breath it's yeah. something that I definitely don't do enough of and I know when I do it I kind of focus on that square box thing I try and mm. I'm not describing it right you know you go up one side and you try to make a square out of your breathing yeah. go in out in out do you have any useful tools like practicing mindfulness or meditation that you'd recommend to everybody yeah you know I, I meditate every day and the simplest way of meditating you know I, I liken it when, I, when I'm talking to people who've never meditated or who think of meditation as woo-woo, I, I use an analogy like going to the gym or, or learning, let's say you want to run a 10k, uh, and what you do is you practice, you train for it. So like if I was to start training my leg muscles or my arms or something, let's say I was you know doing a particular exercise, then as I work out that muscle, two things happen. Uh, the muscle becomes firmer and then it becomes larger. And something similar happens in the brain when you not just breathe, but here's the key, when you notice that breathing is what you're doing. And that ultimately is a simple form of meditation. I mean, everyone breathes, but let's say you were to notice, you bring your attention to the fact that you're breathing. In other words, you are becoming mindful of the fact that you're breathing. The moment I become mindful of it, I'm technically working out a particular region of the brain. And one of the main regions of the brain that gets worked out when I breathe and become mindful that that's what I'm doing is the area above the eyes called the prefrontal cortex. Mm. And just like a muscle becomes firmer and larger when you work it out, so too does this part of the brain become firmer and larger and you know obviously neuroscientists don't call it muscle growth they call it neuroplasticity but the idea is similar so that frontal part of the brain just like a muscle becomes therefore more powerful so that frontal part of the brain becomes more powerful and and therefore everything that you use that part of the brain for the things that that part of the brain is involved in becomes easier and one of the areas some of the areas that is involved in is self-control being able to manage stress, being able to be resilient regardless of what seems to be happening in your environment at that time, even being able to override knee-jerk emotions, uh, knee-jerk negative emotions. And, and so I find when I put it in that context that breathing and just noticing 
that you're doing it, it suddenly helps people to realise that by understanding the analogy of the muscles, you realise then that you actually have to train it. And so mm-hmm. to become better at dealing with stress, you actually have to notice that you're breathing more often. That's when meditate things like meditation, even yoga eh, come in because you're noticing breathing on a regular basis. So it's like you're training to do a 10K and becoming better at running or training to lift a particular weights. So I think long term, the ability to manage stress, if you take out this kind of approach, is related to our practice that we do of breathing and noticing what you're breathing. And that box breathing that you you talked about there, that's such a good version. You breathe in for a, a count, let's say, of you know four or five or, or, or more or less, and you hold it for the same, you breathe out for the same duration, and then you hold it for the same duration. So it's, it's these four phases being held for the same duration. And what you're really doing there is you're having your, the entirety of your focus on the fact that you're breathing. There's different ways that we can breathe, different breathing techniques, but ultimately what unites all of them is your attention is on the breath during that time. So you're working out this part of the brain, the the prefrontal cortex above the eyes, making it better to be able to manage yourself, yeah. I, when you were, when you were speaking then, I was practicing and just breathing whilst listening and I was just thinking, this is really something that is key, is being aware because Mm. there are so many little things that happen every single day. Like Mm. I think little stresses that people don't realize. And I guess perhaps if we're aware of them, like you said earlier with the pressure cooker, you're able to just acknowledge it and deal with it in a better way because it's like people just don't notice and then it does build up. And in many ways, I guess, um, those micro stressors, the tiny ones can be much worse for our health because they're Mm. the things that just don't go away, aren't they, in the long run? Yeah, those are the things that accumulate. It's just like a, you know, an analogy you might think of as, you know, you've left your tap dripping into the sink, but you've also left a plug in. And And you don't notice that the tap is dripping And for a while, there isn't really anything. It's just your normal pattern. You know, you get a wee bit frustrated, irritable at things, and you just don't notice it. But eventually, because the the tap, the plug is is in the sink, eventually the water spills out over the top of your sink. And that's when you start getting collateral damage to your, 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 your worktop, your floors, the other things in your kitchen, when things begin to accumulate because we've not done anything to take the plug out of the sink if we manage to to even take the plug a little bit out of the sink then the drips go right down the sink but it's when we leave it plugged in we have no awareness of of ourselves and no awareness of how we're dealing with the little micro stresses as they build up that that's when the sink begins to overflow and we get the collateral damage i.e the chronic physiological consequences of stress some people are more susceptible, aren't they? Could you break down why perhaps that may be? Yeah, you know, you, you said something earlier, I, I think, that we, that we miss the social interaction. You know, mm. humans are biologically wired for connection. We absolutely need it. In fact, you know, hundreds of years ago, one of the worst punishments, someone who'd committed a crime, one of the worst punishments they could get was to be banished. And many of them, because they're now alone and the, the biology is screaming out for interaction, many of them, in you know, the stories of the, of the, the past, you know, hundreds of years ago, would spe- would actually camp out on the outskirts of the, of the town or the village, desperate to get back in. And some of them would end up losing their lives trying to get back in because we just crave this connection. Yes, some people like solitude, but the vast majority of, of us need the, the physical uh, interaction. And so when that is deprived, and it's really hard to think under this climate for people who perhaps live alone or who, who don't have not been able to get any form of connection, even using things like technology like Zoom or, or FaceTime, it, it's very, very hard because the body and the psyche then begin to suffer. One of the antidotes, or one of the, maybe not so much an antidote, but at least it can help is part of the biological and genetic wiring is also the the same kind of, I guess, genetics that makes us kind by nature. You know, the, the, the gene for, the, the gene most associated with kindness 
is one of the oldest in the human genome. It's about 500 million years old and four and a half days. I'm joking about the four and a half days. But it, it's, <laughs> I didn't want to say. <laughs> it's, it's about 500 million years old. But it's also the, but it's also the same gene that's involved in our need for, for connection. So what, one of the things that we can do, it, because it's the same process, it's the same you know situation in the body, connection and kindness, is we can focus on, even though I don't have the direct physical contact that I crave, is there some ways that I could up my kindness and compassion for people? Could I reach out? Could I look for opportunities, whether it's just picking up the phone and checking in on somebody, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Or whether it's just noticing that someone has needs in the moment or or long term and, and asking yourself, is there anything I can do to help? In some kind of ways, because it's stimulating the same systems of the body, in some ways that can kindness for others can actually relieve some of the needs we have for connection yeah a hundred percent it's almost like um yeah the way we're built and the way we're designed Mm. and the way the body needs to function plays such a huge role but we live in a world now that doesn't always support support that even before covid i would say um perhaps the invention also of technology um is something that should be considered as well um, I mean, something a lot of people want to know. I mean, they'll listen to us chatting and they'll be like, well, what can I do? You know, mm. how, how do I even, how do I combat that? See, we've mentioned breathing, um, but what do they do if they're stuck in this technological world where we are a bit more socially isolated? What, what can everybody do? I, I know, I think, uh, you know, reaching out, tech, we can use technology in some ways to our advantage, you know, Zoom has free accounts, but also things like FaceTime, WhatsApp, video calls. See, just seeing someone's face in real time helps. I, I know it's not the same, but with within the constraints that we have to live in at the moment, uh, the question we, we, we have to ask ourselves is, what can I do within these constraints? And even having the, the real live video of someone's face having a conversation. When I, when I talk to, let's say, my mum or my dad or my, my, one of my sisters, I've got three sisters and one of them uh, just FaceTimed me the other day there. And it was really great because I was I was in an intense moment of writing and all of a sudden up comes FaceTime and it's my younger sister, Lynn. And it just lightened the pressure. And it, made, it, just, it was nice just to communicate in real time and also see the person's face. You know, so being on the other side, I know how nice that felt. So being on the other side, what can we do for others? Well, we can actually notice, am I reaching out to people as often as I could? Am I checking in with family and friends and asking them how they're doing? Even just phoning for a wee chat just to, you know, see how they're doing, just to really have a chat like you would do Mm. when you bump into someone in the corridor. You know, yeah. and just trying to find ways of doing these kind of things more. So in a sense, we can, within the constraints we have to live in, we can tr- we can use the technology that we have to service that kind of need. And I think just the visual perception of people live in real time is good. But even just listening on a phone, if you don't have access to that technology, is still nice. It's still feel, that you still feel the connection, even if it's not a physical, biological yeah, touch. listen to a podcast. Listen to a podcast know. as well, yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. this is recorded, you know, this is yeah. live for us. Yeah. You know. That's, I think, um, focusing on the positives is actually a really lovely, um, mm. lovely way because kindness goes a long way in positivity it's not just our relationships with one another but with ourselves isn't it oh absolutely you know we we often forget to be kind to ourselves actually you know we we so we most people find it quite easy and natural to help other people but if you if you try to turn it inwards most of us don't even know what kindness to ourselves means and it's you know in a in a nutshell, it's really just being aware that you also have needs. Kindness to yourself doesn't mean kindness to yourself instead of others. It just means as well as you know not to forget about yourself. You know, so you know one of the things I personally do when I get you know overwhelmed with 
work volume. It's one of the, I guess, my stressors that I have to be aware of is I often get overwhelmed with just a large number of things that I'm having to simultaneously do just because of, of I guess, my, my job, my, my, my career, my, my work, if you call it that. And, and so what I do, because time seems like a major commodity for me, then I find that if someone in my family or close circle of friends needs my help or my time, I always find the time for them. So I say to myself, okay, being kind to myself, can I extend that to me? And so what I do is I go into my diary and I block a little bit of time. It might be 30 minutes, it might be an hour, it might be a whole morning or a day. And it's meeting with self. I should write it on, <laughs> meeting with self. Just like I would say, you know, yeah. meeting with, you know, X, Y or Z person. So meeting with self and that puts it in my diary. And for me, it gives it the same gravitas as a meeting with someone else. And it's like me saying to my deeper psyche that I matter and my time for me, kindness to myself matters just as it, much as it, it matters uh, me being kind to someone else. I mean, other people can be kind to themselves in other ways, but that's what I do personally because that's something that's very specific to my normal set of circumstances. Kindness to yourself could be different for someone else. Like, you know, treating yourself, going for a walk in nature, it can be anything but yeah. for me, that's that's the one thing that I find is really helpful. I've popped that in my diary, um, meeting, meeting with, with myself. myself. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, that is in my diary. My project manager, B, is going to be like, what? It's in your diary, Rihanna. Um, <laughs> but that's very, very important. I really like that. I think checking in on how you're feeling because we are so busy. Mm. We don't ever take a moment to stop. And then how on earth are we meant to even recognize like we've already discussed the feeling decipher if it's feeling or fact in that moment in time and then action it and work out how we're going to proceed forward with it if we don't even check in with ourselves I think that's yeah that makes such perfect sense because lots of people talk about practicing self-love mm. um but I think it's it's more difficult to do isn't it than a simple action of oh well you know, maybe I wash my hair today, but that I don't think that's quite what self-love is about, is it? Yeah, it's more a consistent practice. I mean, I, I call, I think of self-love as an inner sense of your own worthiness and value. And that's an assumption that builds over time. I think we, we, ha we often get it confused. You know, there's two types of self-esteem. Self-love and self-esteem, you can interchange one version of self-esteem with self-love. And, and this is what I mean. There, there's two types of self-esteem and most people get them confused. There's the external self-esteem. And that's when we derive our sense of worthiness and value from the successes and achievements in our lives and people having a positive perception of us and, and we and we like that so that's all called external self-esteem meaning we're taking our sense of worthiness and value from stuff that's external but you know as they say in in the village where i grew up if that's the only type you have then as your coat is on a shaky nail <laughs> meaning if you've mm. you've hung your jacket on a nail mm. and it's shaky then it'll eventually fall out and what happens is all you need is for something externally to shift like you fail at something or or something happens that isn't what you expected or someone's opinion changes a review changes attitudes towards you change and it's devastating because your whole sense of worthiness and value is rested upon those foundations Whereas you have inner self or internal self-esteem, which is more, more what I would call self-love. And it's an inner sense of your own worthiness and value. It's not dependent upon successes and achievements or people liking you, for example. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't want to succeed and achieve things. It doesn't even mean that you don't want people to like you. Of course you do, we're only human. But it just means that you have a kind of inner resilience and inner warmth towards yourself that means that when things change in the outside world when opinions change it's not as earth shattering because you have that little bit of you know resilience of self-love that kind of knows that no matter what you know I've got this I'm okay I'm still yeah. here and so, oh. so I, that's what I equate as, as self-love and it's not something that comes in a moment of insight 
it's like working out the brain through meditation. It takes practice to, with different ways and strategies to literally almost wire it in so that that becomes your resting assumption about yourself so that as you meet the world, you meet the world with that version of yourself. And then life it is a little bit warmer for yourself. I love that analogy. It's a little bit warmer for yourself. It, it, yeah. it's, it's true. It takes practice. It's difficult. It's not something that I'm sure, you know, you, you confessed yourself that you, mm. even as somebody that speaks about the subject doesn't make you immune to it or mm. an expert in, in dealing with it. And I'd love to know your thoughts on using exercise as a tool to be a perhaps management of um, how do I find the words? Well, I guess to relieve stress, I suppose, if we're talking about stress in this podcast, because sometimes I do find in the nutrition clinic that exercise is abused as another punishment that's masking, mm. perhaps. But on the flip side, I mean, it does make you feel good. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, you know, I, I personally... I love, I find exercise so, you know, incredibly helpful for my mental health, mm. especially. You know, I, I play tennis a lot, actually. I, I live in a wee town in central Scotland called Dunblane. Mm. Uh, famous more recently for Andy and Jamie Murray, the world number one tennis, yeah. former world number one tennis players. Uh, you know, Andy. Are you following taught... in their footsteps? Are you? Is that I'm the not new quite plan? as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I took up tennis four years ago in my mid forties. <laughs> so, well uh, you know, I, I, it's been a steep learning curve, and I'm moving up through the the Dunblane Tennis Club league system. I'm, you know, I'm up awesome. to, you know, there, there's what is it nine? I think there's nine divisions, and I think I'm up now. There used to be four, but there's now nine, and I'm up to the third division now. That's so cool. impressive, though. Well done for starting something up. It goes to show it doesn't matter where or when you can start yeah. anything. In fact, when I when I was forty five, I'd never picked up a tennis racket in my life. Wow. You know, it was, you know, and it was a steep learning curve because most people in Dunblane Tennis Club have been playing since they were children, or at least since they were teenagers. So it, it's been a you know, a steep learning curve. But then this brings me back to exercise. It's a form of exercise that that also challenges how I think. I, I you know, I'm a scientist by by trade, and tennis is very scientific. So if you look at and what I mean by that is, if you get some coaching, you realise that there's umpteen different ways you can strike the ball. With flatten it out, with backspin, with side spin, with top spin, you can serve in a variety of different ways that depend upon the opponent you're playing, depends on the context, and it becomes very scientific. But the exercise itself, I, I play like four or five times a week for about an hour to an hour and a half uh, each time, and obviously you get the you get the the adrenaline, you get the endorphins as well, which which make you feel good. But just choosing something that can become you know, exercise, for example, what I say, I play in the league systems and I go to coaching with with a lot of other adults every Wednesday night and it's just a lot of fun and light-heartedness. But when you, you you do something that feels part of something and there's other people there and you see, you notice a progression, then I've, I've noticed that helps my mental health mm. because it gives me something to focus on, something I, I can't wait to see if I've improved or, or look, I've played this person before last year and he, he beat me easily let's see if I can close the gap this time and and so the exercise over and above the endorphins and the feel good that you get the adrenaline over and above picking a form of exercise 
that that's in, where you're involved with other people and you can actually see progressions. It's been great for my mental health, I have to say. I love that. It's even an example of turning stress into a positive in a way because yeah. when you're playing a sport, I guess stress has a lot of negative connotations, doesn't it? People always assume yeah. that stress is just negative. Yeah, but, but it's actually a very positive. In fact, there's you stress. You know, we, we, we think of stress as, you know, distress, but the stress that we normally think of is actually distress. The other form, the positive stress, is called eustress. We often associate eustress with exercise or eustress with laughter, even because laughter is stress in the body, but it's it's eustress of, of laughter. But mm. exercise, when it's positive, is, is eustress. In other words, it, it's it's a physical stress on the body that's actually helping the body to, to get stronger. I mean, the little when you exercise vigorously, you get little micro tears in your blood vessels, yes, little micro tears yeah. in, in your, your muscles, but these get repaired stronger than they were before. And that's why yeah. we get physically stronger and, and the cardiovascular system improves, etc, etc. That's so uh, true. So, so exercise is great in that way. So the positive side of it is actually, you know, the positive side of exercise is that literally builds us, not just physically, but also there's a similar component in the psyche. So it builds you psychologically as well as you become better at, you know, dealing with, you know, how do I push through the pain? If I'm running, let's say I'm trying to run this evening, let's say a person's going for a run, how do I get through this pain barrier? And you bring your psychology to it and you try to figure out the next time I run, how will I get through that pain barrier? Yeah. I know that when I get to that hill, it's really tough. Can I run that hill slightly differently the next time? And and then you're bringing a positive attitude to that particular stressful part and the stress then becomes really positive. And there's a sense of exhilaration when you figure out how to get through that really difficult part. Oh, you're so motivating. It's definitely like a mind, mind over matter, isn't it? Especially with, with so many things. Yeah. Um, we do have lots of questions from our listeners for you, actually, David. And sure. they're really appropriate, these ones. And there are quite a few to choose from. But this one in particular right now, I think, is, is quite interesting. So Peggy mm. has said, I live in a really busy area and I've noticed that I'm becoming stressed. And she said, is, it, is noise pollution a stress factor? We haven't actually touched on noise. It, 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 it absolutely is, Peggy. In fact, do you know, I, I don't know how easy this this would be for you, but, you know, the human nervous system is adapted to natural. And, and that means natural surroundings and it means natural sounds. And what I mean by adapted to is, you know, built-up areas are very, very recent they're, they're a very recent experience for the human nervous system. And what I mean by recent, you know, a couple of hundred, maybe a couple of thousand years at absolute maximum. But for most of the span of human evolution, for eons, our ancient ancestors lived in nature. In fact, they lived in savannah, you know, trees, mm. grass, running water, sounds of nature, you know, sounds of nature. And so a lot of research has found that even just exposing your nervous system, i.e. getting out into nature, even a park, and just noticing the trees and noticing the green, green, notice the green, bring your attention to it, notice the sound, actually become mindful of the sounds of nature and the sights of nature. It has an extraordinarily calming effect. It, it's called, these are called restorative environments. It, but additionally, you can even put a pair of headphones on and just listen to sounds of nature, to natural sounds. The studies that have been actually looked at recovery rate from people having had an operation. And they give them headphones. And one, in fact, I'll give you an exact study that was done in women who'd had caesarean section. And half of them were given to listen to, over earphones, mm -hmm. sounds of nature. Some of them were given office sounds, you know, like air conditioning fans, phones, keyboards being tapped, and other people as a control group just had earphones on with nothing playing. Guess who recovered faster and who required less painkillers? 
those who on the earphones listen to natural sounds of nature. It's because ah. the nervous system is adapted to these things. So even if you can't get out into a natural setting, you can plug it into your earphones and listen. I, you know, when I'm working, like this morning I've been working on my book and I was doing a bit of studying it as well. In the background, I had a, a playlist initially of cricket sounds <laughs> and then I switched it to forest sounds. And I've been listening to about three hours this morning of oh. crickets and then forest sounds, you know, birds and, and the wind and, and the trees. And it's just been lovely. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that, you know, because normally I go for a classical music playlist, but I think I'm mm. going to switch it up now. I'm definitely yeah. going to try that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's incredible. It has a very, very profound effect on the nervous system because we, the, the human nervous system is adapted to this. It means, it means we're tuned to nature. More than we'd, mean, we'd realise. That does link in nicely to a question from Katie who said, should I be concerned that stress is affecting my hormones? Because I suppose not being in nature and being stressed may have an impact on the body. Yeah, if, 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 it's hard, if you're definitely aware now of, of negative effects, then, you know, immediately it becomes something that we have to address. If, if there is a negative consequence, like you're talking hormones here, or any other way, if there's a negative consequence, then stress has to be addressed. And, mm -hmm. and whether that little tip of using nature, I mean, see just 10 minutes a day, listening to nature sounds it can be incredibly no, restorative it, and what would you do about addressing the situation because adam has said that his stress levels are getting worse but he doesn't mm. feel he can say anything to his boss because he feels he'll get judged and there are attitudes in his workplace i think i'm sure a lot of people can probably relate to that at the moment about voicing perhaps how they feel yeah so what, so, what so so other than the practicalities of, of speaking to a boss that you know I, exercise obviously helps, but meditation is, you know, I don't think we as a culture recognise just how powerful it can be. You know, what I did recently is I, I was going through a little phase of, of overwhelm. You know, I, I'd had an exam and a book deadline at the same time and, and a number of other, you know, in fact, ironically, it was just after Mental Health Awareness Week and the theme this year was kindness. Yeah. And I had a huge number of talks to do for groups, charities, businesses, uh, and also podcasts and interviews. And literally for the week leading up to it with all the technology checks, the week of it and the week after, I was overloaded and, and it became very stressful. And the irony was not lost on me that in many of these talks, part of the talk was talking about the importance of kindness to yourself. And the irony was not lost in me that I was not doing that for myself because I was convincing myself that I didn't have time. So what I decided to do, I said, is my mental health not more important than doing all the physical things I think are, are important? Is it not true that my mental health and my physical health is more important? Because if I don't deal with those things first, then I'm never going to be able to do those other things because something will break at very least a blood vessel. So what yeah. I decided to do is I said, I'm going to do two hours of meditation a day. And I picked two hours because I thought that wouldn't be possible. Because I thought in my busy schedule, that wouldn't be possible. So I intentionally picked two hours. And I said, if I'm going to show myself that learning to manage my stress is a priority, then I'm going to have to make it really damn difficult for me to do, to show myself that I can do it. So what I, I found is I got up a little bit earlier in the morning and I broke the two hours. I, I just literally, on my phone, I typed in 10, well, I did 10 minutes of just relaxed breathing. And then I do another 10 minutes listening to natural sounds. I do 20 minutes, maybe or 15 minutes relaxed breathing. Even when I was in the shower, I'd stand for five minutes or at least what my perception of five minutes, breathing and noticing that I'm breathing. And throughout the day, I was able to accumulate for a period of two weeks. I was able to accumulate two hours a day. Now, what was astonishing, and even I'm talking during lunch breaks, a wee five minutes here, rather than scrolling, we, we lose 20 minutes at a time scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. So I'd put the phone away, I'd turn it face down and say, I'm going to use that 20 minutes and I'm going to breathe and notice that I'm breathing maybe while listening to natural sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and I found during that two week period, my levels of stress and overwhelm 
dramatically dropped. Now, in the middle of a really busy time for me, when I thought I don't have time, as I started mindful, doing mindfulness meditation practices, as I started doing that even more, my perception of my situation began to shift. And all of a sudden, I seemed to notice that I had more time than I thought, and I felt differently and I wasn't feeling as stressed about the same things and the reason for that is because you're building the prefrontal cortex like a muscle and as that becomes stronger your perception and of things and your ability to manage things and your state are dramatically altered you know in just a week of quite a lot of meditative practice there is massive physical change to the prefrontal cortex of the brain absolutely massive that's physical so, change so fascinating mm. it it is something i wish in a way we had a curriculum for at school discussing this sort of thing because um, it's only i'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are only listening because well i'm very happy they are but where they're interested in their health and wellness and well-being and actually i think the information that you've given us today has been something that i think we all should be allowed to have access to very easily, you know, just tap into mm. and, and be taught. But I do digress. We need to move on to the fact or fiction round, David. Are you mm. ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, if you could answer fact or fiction to the following. Oh, stress. Yeah, yeah, you see? <laughs> the stress. What happens if I get them wrong? What if I don't know the answer? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Great start. Breathe. Let, let's both breathe, breathe through this. Okay, here we go. You're only stressed when you have symptoms. Mmm, fiction. Stress is everywhere. Mmm, fact. 74... Well, yeah, it could be a lot of that. 74% of UK adults have felt stressed over the last year. Fact. Stress is the same for everyone. Fiction. You'll get grey hairs from stress. Fiction. That's good. Um, health conditions can arise from stress. Fact. It's easy to tell when someone is stressed and needs support. Fiction. Stress and diet are linked. I would say fact because very closely. You'll get ulcers and spots from stress. Fiction. Chatting about your emotions can alleviate your stress levels. Fact. Oh my goodness, David, you whizzed through that. I'm so impressed. That was uh, the did most... I get any right though? <laughs> yeah. You're you're the pro, you tell me. Honestly, I feel like you are so calm and collected. You you definitely did breathe your way through that. Wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was funny, all of a sudden felt like a, it was a test, an exam, and I was yes. like, oh my God, <laughs> it Someone was an immediate perception of it. Yeah, I'm used to asking it, and I had to go on a podcast as a guest recently, and I got asked, and I was like, oh gosh, that's what it feels like again, you know, being yeah. in the hot seat. I was like, oh, what am I doing to my guests? Um, but it's a bit it's a bit of fun, and that does yeah. unfortunately nearly wrap up the episode today, but as with every guest, David, we finish um, the podcast with a food for thought, which is a take-home message that you mm. feel. And if I start by saying, I think from what we've discussed today, I think that we are in an ever-demanding, increasingly stressful world. And mm. I know now as a new mum, whilst running a business and being isolated due to COVID situations this year, that it, it is tough and the interaction is truly important. And I guess sometimes I'm not truly present, which is why I've made that note in my diary um, to have a meeting with myself. I think it's mm. very important. But more importantly, maybe the kindness aspect as well and trying to be positive. Um, mm. Could you please leave our listeners, David, with a lovely take home or something that you feel would be beneficial? Uh, wherever you can, it try to be kind. You never know what people are going through in their lives. And and so sometimes just being kind because, you know, someone might be acting a particular way, not because that's their nature, but because of something that's stressing them, uh, something they're worried about at, at this particular moment. So be kind as often as you can. And, and one of the, in the context of stress, Physiologically speaking, the feelings induced by kindness are the opposite 
give the opposite effects of the feelings induced by stress. So stress has physical effects in the body, but it's the it's not an experience. It's the it's not a thing that causes that. It's the how stress feels. So how kindness feels has opposite effects. So whatever you're aware of stress does negatively in the body, be rest assured that the feelings induced by kindness do the exact opposite. Oh gosh, that was that was perfectly um perfectly executed and really, really good advice there. The be kind thing is something mm. that really rings true, especially if we are going online more and more as well. I think it's important to reiterate. Now, David, if anybody wants to find out more about you, where can they go and where can they read more? Uh, well, my, my website, drdavidhamilton.com. I'm also very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook, where my handles are uh, slightly different. David R. Hamilton, PhD. I couldn't get Dr. David Hamilton when Facebook start, first oh, started. Well, I like so, the PhD, that's so fine. I'm David R. <laughs> but I suppose it's better because people often confuse me with a medical doctor, but I'm researching yeah. in, in, well, initially building pharmaceutical drugs in my mm -hmm. former... Uh, experience uh, and I've, I've written 10 books so they're, they're all list, they're all on amazon and they're all listed Amazing. on my website as well honestly you do some incredible work and i think that's what really drew me um to wanting you to have be a guest because i know that perhaps more the area that you work a lot with is kindness and that's so mm. important so david thank you so much for your invaluable time today your wonderful take-home messages and thank you for coming on food for thought well thank you it's been my absolute pleasure and thanks for inviting me as a guest i've had a thoroughly enjoyable uh, experience here if you enjoyed this episode you'll absolutely love what's coming next week so make sure that you click subscribe to be the first to hear it if you have time to, we'd really appreciate it if you want to leave a review so that we can reach those higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more people. That is our mission here with this podcast. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. 